0: Good morning everyone, my name is Dan Spino, I'm one of the pastors on staff here, I'm the belong pastor, got this really cool title, uh, it's good to see all of you, thanks for joining us here this morning. Let me, um, let me uh, continue our worship uh, in, in our sermon now, that's what I get to do, and I'm going to pray for us, so let's do that. Lord, I praise you for how good you are. These songs that we just sang are so rich. They're so true and they're so rich, and they are transformative. And I thank you for that. Thank you for the work that you've been doing here this morning, um, since the time the doors first opened, and all the way to the time they close, and as we scatter throughout the week, the work you will be doing. thank you for that, Lord. And now I pray, as we continue in our worship, as we look at your word, that you would have your way with us, that you would convict us of your truth, and that you would help us to just continue to be growing into the image that you want us to grow into, Lord, your image. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, today we're going to be continuing in our sermon series, which we've been calling Deep Lives. Uh, Deep Lives actually comes from our mission statement. Um, Hopefully you're familiar with our mission statement. Um, If you haven't, if if you're not, if you've never heard it, I get to share it with you today. So our mission statement is, Seeking the Good of the West Shore and Beyond. Through deep truth, deep lives, and deep love uh, for the glory of Christ. Um, and the, this is where we are today. This is where we've been. Specifically, we've been looking at um, the character traits that Christ followers should possess, what we call deep lives. Uh, there's 10 of them. I don't have all 10 memorized. If you cornered me, I could probably get them to you. Uh, but right now, I can't do that, and I won't try. Uh, but today, we're going to talk about Repentance. Um, So I get to share with you what God has to say about repentance. And we've been using the same main idea throughout our sermon series. It's a common sentence. Hopefully you've heard it. Um, You can repeat it. It's Christ followers are to be people marked by, and today it's repentance. Um, So Christ followers are to be people marked by repentance. And that's that's our main idea. And my prayer for you, honestly, is that my my hope is that you'll be a little uncomfortable here today. And I don't say that, uh, you know, lightheartedly. Um, that's awkward probably even to hear. But we're gonna talk about two things in particular um, that we as a society, we as a church, have become numb to, um, I would argue, and that's, that's sin and repentance. Um, it's, and it's not just in the church that we've become a little more desensitized to these things. Uh, we just watched a documentary last night called 13th. Um, it's as a culture, as a society, we really need, we have a lot to learn about sin and repentance, um, and we can't talk about repentance without talking about sin. Um, we've watered these down a little bit; they've they've lost their weight, they've lost their meaning. Um, and I'm hoping that today we can spend a little time really understanding some of the meat behind these as God intends them for us to understand. So our main text today, and don't turn there because we're going to go somewhere else first. But our main text is going to be Psalm 51, um, which for some of you might be familiar. But we're, we're first we're going to start with a different story. Uh, and this story is found in 2 Samuel. It's at the end of chapter eleven and into verse twelve through, uh, sorry, into chapter twelve, verse seven. Uh, if you want, you can go there. We'll have it up on screen. 2 Samuel is in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we have them for you at the Welcome Center. It's a gift. Just go ahead and grab one. Um, our team there would love to say hi to you. Um, but Second Samuel is about a third of the way into the Old Testament. It's probably about an eighth of the way into your Bible, um, and we're going to be there. We're dropping in right in the middle of a narrative. And we're going to begin, like I said, at the end of chapter 11, and then we're going to roll through chapter 12. Um, So the text here, here, here's how it starts. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him, and he said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. And he, that is that's the, unri- the rich man, was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled. Against that man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, that man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. So we drop in on this narrative after David has done some really terrible things. Um, and this part of the text doesn't really tell us what David did because what he did doesn't matter. The of the matter is David has sinned. That's, that's what this text is so helpful about and helpful for us. And this really sets up our time for the rest of the morning here. Um, our roadmap for today, we have, there's four things that I'm hoping we can accomplish. <clears throat> Sin and repentance are communal, number one. Two, what does repentance look like? Why is repentance an important character trait? And then kind of the so what, right? What do I do? So let let's get chugging. So st- staying in this current text, let's, let's talk about sin and repentance and, and how they are communal. You see, this text would have been really shocking to the original audience. Uh, I mean, it was shocking to David. Right? The honorable man, who's, who's the rich man, does the dishonorable thing. He does what we wouldn't expect him to do. We immediately we connect with the poor man, and, and David does too. right? David is provoked. David is moved to anger. And then Nathan tells David that this is a metaphor about him. This is an allegory. This is a story made up all about David. You see, Nathan's a prophet, which means he's, he's sent by God to have the word of God. God speaks to him and through him. Um, so God uses him as his voice, essentially, to his people. But Nathan is also a companion to David. Nathan gets to be in that inner sanctuary and, you know, have good conversation with David. So he's a companion to him. Um, and this is, this is actually a really great moment to pause here and just say, if, you, if you're ever questioning the authenticity of the Bible, if the Bible is inherent or real, um, not just some made up thing, this is, this is a great leg for us to stand on because if man was writing a story about the heroes of their faith, they would not include this story. Right? This is embarrassing. This is embarrassing for David, the king. This is embarrassing for the people of Israel. And yet we have it. God gave it to us in the Bible. So um, just a little side there. Nathan basically says to David, you have sinned. So this then naturally leads us to ask, well, what is sin? What's a, what's a good definition of sin? So I have a working definition for us that we'll use here today. And it's a combination of a number of different sources pulled together. Uh, and essentially it's sin is any thought, intent, motive, or action that's in opposition to God. Sinful things displease God. It's a failure to let God be God and instead places someone or something in God's rightful place of supremacy. Piper, John Piper adds a little weight to this as well. And he says, sin is an assault on God. This text displays this, this working definition. There's, there's no specifics about David's sin in this part. The fact of the matter is he sinned. And there's no size limits um, sin is sin. Somebody passed me a note before there, that said, there's no small sin because there's no small God. <laughs> um, what David did was large. What this man did, the rich man did was relatively comparatively small. It doesn't matter. The fact of the matter sin is sin. This is a metaphor for David. Sin is sin. And also we see that sin is hard to see in our lives. It takes Nathan coming alongside David to help him understand, David, what you've done is sinful. We see that sin displeases God. We started off there, what David had done displeases God. God grieves when we sin. God has an emotional nature. God is so for us. He wants us to flourish that when we sin, he's grieved. Sin grieves God. It displeases him. We see this volitional and emotional part, right? This, David said he, he was angered because he did this thing. So there's this action and he had no pity. Scripture tells us over and over again that God judges our thoughts, intents, and motives, and that's displayed here. And later, David will add, a little bit further in the text, he'll add, I have sinned against God. All sin is against God. All sin primarily is against God. Jesus calls us the greatest commandment, right? What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If that's our first love, then guess who's first in line when we sin? God. we, We sin against God. sin Mars the image bearer. so everybody everywhere is created in God's image as we learn in the Bible when you sin, it mars your image and if you're sinning against somebody it actually mars that person's image as well. and, and there's there's sneaky ways that this works. so for, for example for myself, I struggle fitting in often I had this like negative monologue that happens. Uh, and <laughs> preparing for this sermon was a kind of a gut-wrenching experience for the last two weeks. <laughs> I will say that. Um, but I just realized that's, that's sin, essentially. Because what I'm saying, I'm thinking too low of myself. That's, en- that ends up, that's what ends up happening. What I'm saying is, God, you're a liar. My value isn't in you. You're not good enough. I need something more. Um, God, you created me. Your creation is wrong right? That's essentially what I'm saying when I think these things. Or the other side of it is that it impacts my relationship because I start to think negatively about the people that aren't, you know, letting me in kind of thing, right? It seems really benign, seems really inconsequential. But when I realize that this is a sin pattern and every sin is an assault on God, when you start understanding the gravity of sin, the response within me changes. (laughs) And we'll talk about that in a minute, what the proper response should be. You see, sin is the Ten Commandments. We're probably A lot of us are probably familiar with the Ten Commandments. It's the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount kind of put together. Jesus really unpacks, It's not, thou shall not murder. Jesus says, yeah, that is so true, you shouldn't do that, but you shouldn't even think negative about a brother. That is equivalent to murder. That's thought, intent, and motive. Sin is always self-led and Satan-induced. You choose the sin. And when you do, it impacts others. You're not able to fully live into who God has designed you to be when you're sinning. It affects your relationship with God. It'll affect your relationship with others. And it affects your view of yourself. So if you would agree with me that even, even just part of this might be true... If you would agree with me that some of this definition is true, I would argue all of it is true, why do you think we treat sin so lightly? Why do you think we're so insincere when it comes to sin? We become desensitized to sin, except for perhaps maybe when it inconveniences us, right? Like when we're driving and somebody cuts us off or something happens, it's like, you bad person, you inconvenience me, but when we do those things, it's like, well, I was running late. I, I mean, I had, I had to cut in there. I was trying to get to my doctor's appointment. I was texting. <laughs> it's everywhere. Uh, and we, we should really be outraged by sin. It's, it's everywhere in our culture, this, this idea of desensitizing. Um, I got to read um, an ESPN article as I was preparing for this sermon. <laughs> Tried the word that really well. It's really funny to me that I get to reference an ESPN.com article. Uh, in a sermon. So this, in this article, it was an interview with this man named Rick Tockett. Um, some of you might be familiar with who he is. He's from the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. He was a coach most recently. He, he took a new job out in Arizona, uh, the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, he's a hockey coach, ice hockey coach of their team. Um, yes, the Arizona Coyotes, a desert city, has an ice hockey team. <laughs> yes, they are terrible. And it's not because of their ice, but they are terrible. Um, in this article, there was an interview with him. Um, in this article, it was funny. Um, by the way, if you don't read the news often today and laugh, <laughs> there's, there's some funny stuff in our news. Um, and that's not a political statement. That is just, It's just funny. Um, this is a great example. So ESPN, this is the interview. He, the, the author says, <clears throat> During your previous time in Phoenix, <laughs> after you were ready, after you were charged with financing a gambling ring, and pleaded guilty to conspiracy to promote gambling, the commissioner banned you for two years from the league. What were those two years like for you, Rick? (laughs) This is quotes, for real. You can look this article up. This is his response. It was a long period of time. I I wanted it rectified right away. But I knew from talking to my lawyer it would be a long process. I didn't know it would be two years, and I had a lot of time to reflect on it should I not have bet on football? I don't know. But the bottom line is I made a mistake. I owned up to it. Sat my two years and they let me back in. Did you catch that? <laughs> you were convicted of conspiracy creating a gambling ring. Should you not have done that? Uh, it's a gray zone. I'm not, I'm not sure what you're saying. <laughs> right? Basically, he's saying I owned up to my sin. I paid the price. Whatever. Let's move on. But he's not alone. How often do we do the same thing, right? How often do we find ourselves saying similarly, it's, it's just a little inappropriate internet usage. What's the big deal? It's just a little addiction to my Facebook account in which I find all my value. It's just a little grudge I'm holding. It's just a little self-justification. Should I not do it? I don't know, it's not really that big of a deal. But seriously, take a look at that guy over there. Look what he's doing sin is so much easier to point out in somebody else's life and repentance is so much easier to demand from others. We've become numb to sin. We watch it on TV and then we say things like, man, that show was really terrible, but I'm, I love it. <laughs> That's funny. We DVR it, right? We, we arrange our social calendars so that we can watch these things or we read it, we, we celebrate it, we, we read it in news articles and we do nothing about it we're just numb doesn't matter and that's why as christ followers it's important to be repentant people see some of jesus first words in different gospels would take you to different places are what first words in one gospel are repent another gospel it's come follow me so as christ followers following those who follow jesus we're called to repent that's what he wants from us and I've asked this question of a lot of people: of like, what is what do you think repentance is? And the number one answer I get from people is this turning metaphor. Perhaps you heard it, right? The 180 degrees. That that is biblically based. The Hebrew word for, for repent is is turn or return. Um, so that that is that is a true answer, it's not a full answer. Um, if you focus just on that, you, you leave a lot of the real meaning of repentance out. So a working definition for what is repentance, and we have that for you here too. Repentance is first an internal change of mind and heart prompted by the Holy Spirit's conviction rather than mere sorrow for sin or mere improvement of behavior. It then moves to a resolution and determination to forsake sin. It's not one own, on one own accord, but with the help of God. It's not just a turning. It's not just a stopping. That's the fruit of repentance. Repentance is this inward change as the Holy Spirit is convicting. And really there's about, there's four elements um, of two repentance. There's an intellectual element and that's where we become aware of the gravity of our sin. We become aware of God's holiness and what we've done how it's displeased him. There's an emotional element where we move to godly grief, keyword there, godly grief, godly sorrow. Then there's this volitional element where we do agree to turn. We, we make a resolution to stop doing what we're doing. We're turning away. And then there's a communal element. And really, there's kind of two components to this. We see that sin impacts our relationship with God and with others, number one. Um, but also, it often takes somebody else in our life leading us to see our sin as God prompts that person to help us to see our sin. And all of this is at the Holy Spirit's prompting. This isn't man or woman's own volition, this is at the Holy Spirit's prompting. It's God that convicts us of our sin. It's God who helps us confess our sin. It's God that leads us our efforts to stop sinning. And it's God who prompts others to challenge us in sinfulness. You see, mere sorrow for for your sin is not repentance. If your sin leads you to depression or to self-help groups or to creating rules, any rule creators, I'm a rule guy. Stephanie tells me all the time, no more rules, please. All the time, creating rules. If it leads to scrambling, that is not repentance. In fact, that's the path to death. Right, Paul, I mean, Paul in his writing talks about this idea of like the, the more there's law, the more I sin. <laughs> the more there's rule, the more I sin. He also says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, he says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. If your sin leads you to depression, if it leads you, that's not dependence. If it leads you to setting up rules, setting up this kind of agenda, that's not repentance. But if your sin leads you to grief for offending God, leading to this intellectual awareness, this emotional response, volitional and this communal response, then you are repenting. True repentance is a divinely enabled human experience. There's this communal element of repentance, right? And in our text, it's Nathan. It's Nathan coming in saying, David, you've sinned. And let's be honest, we, we all like to be Nathan. We, we all like to point out other people's sin in our li- and, and people in our lives, we'd like to, man, you're sinning. Stop doing that, right? I would argue we like to be Nathans callously, not carefully. You see, w- what you need to understand in this text is that Nathan is going to talk to David. David is the king of this nation, right? So he has full authority, and he just murdered a bunch of people. Not just one, several people. Nathan is prompted by God to go tell him you sinned. Who wants that job? Raise your hand. Yeah, right? I'm alone with the king who just killed a bunch of people and I'm going to go tell him, hey, what you did was wrong. (laughs) He understood, hear this, he understood his relationship with David is, is costly. He understood that relationship cost that's true relationship, and it's at the prompting of God. This isn't Nathan's own accord. I'm sure if you asked him, he'd be like, I'm not going in there. Send, send the new guy. I'm not doing that. You see, real community, authentic community is costly. Examine your relationships. If all your relationships are comfortable and really easy, you might want to question, are these really authentic relationships? Doing life with others in godly community is costly. All right, so let's move on to the second point, and that is what does repentance then look like? This is where we'll we'll use psalm fifty one for this part um, psalm fifty one um, is, is is I, I don't think the word beautiful is a is a strong enough word for this scripture. Um, I'm going to quote John Nesbitt here, John said like it's it's kind of it's almost awkward that we get to read this letter. This is a personal letter from David the superscription tells us this is David and that he, you know, it's right after he talked with Nathan. We get to read this personal letter that he wrote to God. Now, it'd be like somebody going to your house and grabbing your personal journal or, or your diary and just kind of grabbing a page and reading it. <laughs> that's, what we, that's what we're doing here. We get to see this. So in Psalm 51, here's the text and we'll have it for you, yeah. <clears throat> have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. Do good in Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David gives us a really good model of what repentance looks like. And we'll just spend some time here going through this text. This is This is a really rich text. I mean, we could probably have classes on this on this psalm, it's just so beautiful. Me reading it is, is like you sitting next to me when I'm singing during worship. It's terrible um, because there's there's Hebrew cantonization in this that I just can't capture for you. It's just, it's beautiful. The words, oh man, it's just a beautiful scripture. So first we see David express an awareness of sins in verses one through three. I'll try to unpack some of this. We can't do it all. We'll try to unpack some. So in one through three, kind of the first thing we see in repentance is this awareness. He uses the word sin, A word for sin, three different words, five different times in those first three verses. If you throw in verse four, it's like six or seven different times. Clearly, David is aware of the weight of what he's done. He then uses this phrase, according to your steadfast love. um, That Hebrew word there is hesed. It's a really great word for all of us to kind of start building into our vocabulary It's a really hard word to translate over to English. It's one of God's eternal characteristics. Whenever it's used in the Bible, it's almost always used to describe God. Sometimes it's used to describe um, humans. I think in Ruth, uh, it's used there. But mostly it's about God. It's a covenantal word. So when David uses this word, he's drawing upon the covenant and he's saying, God, I violated the covenant I have with you. He then appeals to God's mercy. Because of God's mercy, David doesn't get what he deserves. Remember back in 2 Samuel, what did David say? That man deserves to die. David just convicted himself, I deserve to die. And by God's mercy, he doesn't. And by God's mercy, we don't. We don't get what we deserve for our sins. Jesus paid that price for us. Jesus died once and for all. We just sang the words. He died once and for all for all of our sins. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's true mercy. When you're repenting, cling to that. Cling to the mercy of, that God offers you. He doesn't give you what you deserve. That's mercy. That's the definition of mercy. You don't get what you deserve. Mercy. Secondly, David then moves into a confession in verses three through six. And the key verse here is in verse four. Um, and I'm, I'm indebted to one of my professors, Don Carson, is his name. Uh, if you know that guy, he's written some books. No big deal if you don't. Uh, but in one of the classes I had with him, he talked about this verse. And he said, you know, in one, in one regard, you might say that David is wrong, right? He says, against you and you only, I've sinned. He's like, well, wait a second. He, he sinned against Uriah. <laughs> he sinned against Bathsheba. He's the king and he's supposed to be out at war. He's sinned against his whole army. By what he's done to disgraceful acts, he's actually sinned against the whole entire nation of Israel. He's sinned against an unborn child. There's not one person in the kingdom who David has not sinned against. And yet, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. What makes sin, sin? What makes it so awful, so heinous? That's a great word, so heinous is precisely its offense before God. Sin can make you feel embarrassed. You're gonna do some things that are sinful. You're gonna feel embarrassed because of your relationship with others, make you feel a little awkward. But sin first is an assault on God. That's the proper response. In every sin, God is the most offended party. So instead of thinking horizontally, think vertically. Think of your relationship with God. In verses 7 through 9, he then moves to this prayer for pardon of sins. And he uses this language like, this cleanse me like I'm dirty laundry. Blot out my transgressions. Don't, don't even remember them anymore. Just completely remove them. Let me hear your joy and gladness. And then he moves forward in 10 through 12. And he, he, uses, he refers to this inner renewal that happens. And he uses this language that takes us back to creation. All the way back to Genesis 1. Create in me Renew a right spirit. Restore to me. He's saying, God, take me back to the beginning and just redo it. Recreate me. Give me a new heart, a new soul. Renew my spirit. You see, sin stains us. And David's not worried about the consequences. I mean, I'm sure he's worried about the consequences. He's not worried about the consequences here, he's worried about the way he looks before God. He asked God to remove those stains, not the consequences. He then moves forward in this repentance and he, he, he does something profound. He moves to humble worship. The text says, He says, I will teach, my my tongue will sing, open my lips, my mouth will declare. You see, praising God is the right response always. When you walk around life praising God, it's it's really hard to sin. It's not impossible. But, it, but it's hard to sin. We should always be giving God our praise. Always, full stop. And then finally, in this kind of repentance narrative here, David then moves to this idea of this authentic sacrifice. And, and that's in verses 16 through 17. And one scholar wrote, the, the sacrifice that God demands is the sacrifice of man's self-will and self-importance. In other words, it's the surrender of man's own self to God. You see, in this time frame, when David's written, there's, there's this whole cultus, not, not a cult, a whole cultus around this, this Israeli nation where when they sin, when there's repentance, they do different things. There's, there's kind of festivals, there's sacrifices, there's clothing they would wear, there's songs that they would sing, there's actions that they would do. God gave them this so that they would repent, they'd do communal repentance. But over time, what ended up happening is that they became a checkbox. Right? They're doing this thing on one side, and then they're worshiping other gods on the other side. And we can relate to this, though I don't think anybody here is wearing sackcloth and ashes. I didn't see everyone come in, but we don't, we don't do exactly as they did in Israel back then. We do it differently. right? We tithe every week. We serve in the soup kitchen. We mow the neighbor's lawn. We come to church every Sunday. Okay, nobody comes to church every Sunday. You guys are like two or three Sundays a month. That was a joke. We put stickers on our car so that others know we're believers. We serve in different ministries in the church. right? We do all these things. And these are really good things. Don't stop doing them. These are, these are good things. Except for maybe the sticker on your car thing. Stop doing that. Don't, don't do that anymore. But the rest, those are good things to do. But just know that's not what God wants. God wants your heart. This whole story of the Bible, from start to end, is a story of a God who just wants a relationship with his creation. He just wants your heart. And know that being a Christ follower, it's not restrictive. It's actually tremendous freedom. So don't cheapen it by trying to earn something that which you cannot earn. God wants your heart. And until you surrender it to him, you're going to continue to struggle. And I'm not saying perfection on this side of heaven is, is possible, Uh, But what I am saying is that when you sin, repent. Repent. Go back to your relationship with God and repent so you can flourish. The last two verses, we'll kind of just skip over. Basically, David moves from the individual to the communal. That's what we see going on there in the last two verses. Um, So some takeaways from Psalm 51. Repentance is utterly dependent on God. It's not something we do to earn forgiveness, but it's something that we do to maintain our relationship with God. We see that God convicts us of our sin, God leads us to confessing our sin, God cleanses us from our sin, which then leads us to worship and praising God. So point three, why is repentance an important characteristic trait? Right? Why, why is it one of our ten? Well, the first easy answer is because the Bible says so. Um, you can't escape the Old Testament without, without, without the word repent. Every prophet, if you summarize every prophet with one word, it would be repent. Every prophet comes on the scene and says, repent. Jesus in his ministry, first words, repent. Luke twenty-four, some of his last words, repent. Acts, and then all the way through Pauline, Peter, James, Hebrew, Revelation. What's the word you hear over and over? Repent. It's in the Bible. We are called to repent in our relationship with God. Secondly, it's it's your first step to relationship with Christ. So if you don't if you don't have a relationship with Christ, repentance is the first step. Um, it's very closely tied to faith. It's so tightly entangled, I can't untangle it for you. Um, But it's the first step of faith. But point number three is that it's not the last. It's not the only time you do it. Repentance is part of our continual journey. Look at David, right? David is, by all means, he's a man after God's own heart, the Bible tells us. Jesus is declared to be the new and better David. So his model is important for us. So as believers, as we are sinners, <laughs> and we need to repent. And finally, the unrepentant person cannot enter into heaven. So you can't both continually to blatantly sin and not repent and enter enter heaven. You can't continually, blatantly sin and be a Christ follower. Those two things are incongruent. You, you just can't. <laughs> but a proper response to someone who has the Holy Spirit inside of him is, is, is to repent. So then finally, so what? So, you know, what's the point of all this? What do do I do? Well, four things. We'll go through these briefly. Um, First, pray. Pray to God. Pray that God will stir inside of you, will convict you of your sin, will help you see your sin, and pray that God will help you to remove your sin. Number two, get into a life group. I'm the belong pastor. If I didn't wrap every sermon around life groups, you guys should be suspect of me. So get into a life group. But in all seriousness, you can't see your sin. We have blind spots. We need people that love us, that are also walking with God, that, that are carefully, <laughs> lovingly listening to God and speaking into our lives. And we and we'd call that being in a life group here. Get into community with others. Number three, examine your heart. I'm a hard-hearted person. I'm sure some of you can probably relate to that yourselves. right? Examine your heart. Let down your guard. Maybe stop talking. Just listen. Let the Holy Spirit convict you. He's closely connected to prayer. But examine your heart. And then finally, repent. (laughs) That's what you can do. You can repent. Invite God in to show you your sin. Invite God in to help you to fully and truly repent. Don't be like Rick Tockett. Yeah, I served my time. What's the big deal? Move on. No big deal. No, that's not repentance. (laughs) That's checking a box. And that's not true repentance. Truly repent. As we continue here, um, we're going to do something that is going to be a little, maybe a little uncomfortable for some of you. Um, we're going to move into a time of corporate repentance, a corporate confession. Um, so the worship team, you guys can start making your way up here, and we're gonna, we'll go through this. We'll have this up on the screen. Um, if you don't feel comfortable doing this, then just receive this as a prayer for you. Um, but I would invite you in to, to say these words with me. Um, as, a, as a church, we need to be a repentant church um, our culture needs to be a repenting culture, and we should be the model seat- setters for our culture. Um, we can drive change as we kind of set the model and start to influence our own spheres of influence, if you will. Um, so if you would please stand with me. We're going to have this corporate confession up on the screen, um, and we'll go through this together. So, um, yeah, if you will. <clears throat> Almighty and merciful God, slow to anger and steadfast in love, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too many of the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws and against the example that Christ gave us. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. Our thoughts have wandered away in an untamed and unholy manner. Our motives have not remained pure. We have held on to secret agendas and plans to get what our flesh craves instead of what is good according to you. Our intentions have not remained pure. We seek our own will above others and above yours. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare those who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent. According to your promises declared to the world in Christ Jesus our Lord, wash us clean. And grant, O merciful God, for his sake, that we may live a holy, just, and humble life To the glory of your name, amen. Continue standing with us as we...